I want you to look again at John 18. Jesus Christ is standing there before Pontius Pilate. If you ever saw the Mel Gibson movie called The Passion, this scene is, is to me my most favorite scene that I like in the movie. And of course, you need to like the scene you like. But that scene is my most favorite scene. And as you see the passage and you see where we are, I want to, just by way of a very brief introduction, just share something with you uh, that you might not know, and perhaps you do. But for some time, since the beginning of this year, uh, I have been reading a lot that has been written by atheists. <coughs> and I have watched quite a few uh, lectures, and I've watched quite a few debates, both highbrow and very lowbrow. But the same men that are the antithesists or the atheists and the antagonists to uh, religion uh, all say the same thing. But I have found something interesting that they all don't say. Those that I have been studying, which are the big names, never ever attack Jesus. They attack the Pope. <clears throat> they attack Muhammad. They attack the synagogue. They attack Vishnu and all these other things uh, of the Hindus and so forth. But they never attack Jesus. And they never attack the gospel. And they perish without it. They're not moved by the gospel. They don't attack the gospel. And then, but they attack the people that say they believe the gospel. And they attack the people they say that preach the gospel. And they attack the church. And they attack uh, uh, particularly the behavior of the church as they see it. Uh, and so without belaboring that, one of the things that applies to the reason we're speaking of today is I was watching one man that has gone on to find out whether he was right or wrong. Uh, I know that he has found out uh, the truth uh, and a brilliant man, but gone nonetheless, dead. Um, one of the things that uh, he was asked in a debate before he died was why, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe all of these things, then why don't you just stay home and keep it to yourself and let the rest of us do this stuff? Why do you leave your house and come out and try to vilify all the rest of us and do that? Well, he had a very good response that we need to listen to. He said, it is because many people, not all, but many people in most of the religions demonstrate that they belong to a cult of death. Everything they speak has to do with fear, has to do with dying, has to do with losing freedom, has to go, do you got to die for this? But they won't stand up and die for it. And when you look at, when you look at uh, these things, he's, and I mean, he just goes through it. And I mean, he, I was like, you're right, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. It's the culture of death. We live in the culture of death right now. And there's going to be something else in two years. I'm telling you, it's going to be something else two years from now. You know, they said yesterday the ozone layer was, the hole in the ozone layer was getting bigger. Well, for crying out loud, uh, Genevieve, did you get a new air conditioner yet? Oh, well, it's because of the ozone layer. Because you can't use Freon. You have to use R134. And yet, here we are. We're still here. 5G now, is ha the cellular towers, 5G is how they're going to trigger the booster shot and cause massive extermination. And we'll go on. Just like the folks when they believe they got the Social Security card years ago, it was the sign of the beast that happened in this country. History repeats itself because we fail. And the atheists pick up on this. And so they look at it and they say this is a, it's a culture of death. It is a culture of fear. It is a culture where the emphasis is on the wrongs and not the rights. And so he, he says this must be taught because this is killing our world. It is killing people from living their lives that they have been given. And I thought if he could only say this, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. We're to live here. We are a blessed people. We are a blessed people that do not need to hide. We need to stand forth and take as many folks with us to this rocky shore that we just sang about that is Christ the Lord. 
And you can't do it hiding. And you cannot do it without the truth. But we don't know what the truth is, it seems like today, particularly, particularly the church. And when a man like Christopher Hitchens stands up and he says the claims that I said that are true, they are true. Christians don't have the ability, for the most part, to respond to the truth with the truth, to use it. And so that is why we go to look at then Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is standing there, and he is standing before the Son of God, the Son of Man. He is standing before the way, the truth, and the life, but he doesn't know that. He's a pagan. Four times Pontius Pilate has come. He has come to Jerusalem. Now, you're going to find this interesting. He's come to Jerusalem, and you know what the first thing he did? He brought the Roman standard, the standards, the big things that have the bells and the flags. He brought it into the temple area. The Jews went and laid down in front of the temple and said, you are not coming any farther. And so he brought his guards in. They drew their swords and he says, if y'all don't get up, we're going to cut your heads off. And so they leaned their necks out. And they put up their swords and they won. Another incident happened like that again. They went and he, see, uh, Pilate went and took the treasury out of Herod's temple and he built the aqueduct that those of you that have been to Israel and been to Caesarea Maritima, where Pontius Pilate lived, oddly enough, you have the aqueduct. Brought, it, brought fresh water straight to his house. It's the same place where Paul stood before Agrippa. He used the tithes and offerings of the Jewish people. You know what they did? They revolted again. <coughs> and in both cases, they, uh, they wrote letters to Tiberius, and Tiberius wrote back and said, you know, I'm getting tired of getting letters from Jerusalem. <coughs> Let them have their worship. I didn't send you there to take away their worship. I sent you there to govern them. Well, then he got enough money and enough power, rather, that he was able to mint coins. <clears throat> and so by doing that, what did he do? He had, the, he had the inscription of a Roman god placed upon the normal coinage that they used, and that absolutely brought everybody to derision. He decided to draw his swords and said, you know what, we're going to kill you folks over this one. And so a massacre took place, and the folks that wrote the letters back to Rome, well, they got killed. And so feeling emboldened, you know what he did? He did what was mentioned in the prophecies. He then took what were known as posters. They're not like, you know, posters of Elvis that you would have. He took posters and took them into the holy of holy places, known, and they were called the abominations of desolation. This has happened, and it's not happened once. It's already happened twice. Well, that was it. And, and, and Tiberius wrote, Julius, wrote, he wrote, uh, Pontius Pilate said, if I hear one more word, you're going to seal your allegiance to me with your blood. I'm going to crucify you. So here you have this very weak man, this irreligious man, this man that knows nothing or has no respect of the Jews. He has standing before him a Jew that they call, they say he says is the king. It would do him no great thing if he didn't kill him. And so he stands there and he it stands there before the king of kings and the lord of lords and he stands there as the interrogator. And so notice what he says. What, actu what accusation do you bring Do you bring me about this man? In verse 29, and they said, well, he's an evildoer. We wouldn't have brought him to you. He claims to be the king of the Jews. And so he goes on to say, he says, are you, a king, are you the king of the Jews? In verse 33, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus Christ sits there looking at him and says... Uh, in verse 34, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Okay, so we see that he's a political operative, right? I mean, you want to see how Christ, you deal, how Christ deals with the political forces of the world? It's right here. It is as you say. No, he hadn't said that yet. He said, did someone tell you this? Did someone tell you this or is this of your own revelation? So now Jesus becomes the interlocutor. Jesus now becomes the, the questioner. And so he says in verse 35, he says, What have you done? What have you done? That's a great pastoral question I could ask you and ask myself. Have I done enough for Christ 
that I could be trumped up, I could be trumped up, that I could be brought up on charges before the civil authority? Have I done enough for Jesus to get me identified by those in power to say that is a man that follows a king that's not of this world? Would there be enough evidence for us to stand trial and be convicted of following Jesus Christ? But that's a different sermon. And so he says, what have you done? And notice what Jesus says. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. And it's interesting, I hear these and I see these videos and all these stuff that people, they claim their faith and say now they're going to go fight for the country. That's not, that's not what's happening here. They say, because I have Jesus and all this stuff, I can do this, blah, 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 and all this. It's like, that's not what Jesus is doing here. That may be their own believable truth, but that's not the truth. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Now, I want you to remember something. Jesus Christ says He could bring a legion of angels down at His command. One angel in the Old Testament killed 186,000 human beings in one moment. So a legion is a thousand. So, some people say that perhaps there were a billion people on the earth back then. We'll just say there were. Who cares, all right? But let's say there were a billion people on earth back in Jesus' day. If He had called that legion down, do you know how many times the earth could have been destroyed? Thirteen times over. In one moment. Boom. You talk about the big bang. That's not what Jesus does here. What does Jesus do? How does Jesus Christ deal with a political authority that is discriminating, that is, pers that is actually going to persecute him, that's going to do all this, and is going to do it wrong? If you remember the Apostles' Creed, those of you that grew up Presbyterian or Methodist or Catholic, you recited the Apostles' Creed that says, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why would the church fathers put that in the Scriptures or in, the, in one of the greatest uh, creeds of Christendom, why would he, they put the name Pontius Pilate? Well, because it's so we'll remember how to fight the government. Not, not just that. Watch this. So what happened? My servants would be fighting and I would not have been handed over to the Jews, but, it is, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus said, You say correctly that I am a king, for I have been born of this. And this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? And that's what we will answer today. And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to him, them, I find no guilt in this man, but you have a custom that I release someone if you at the, at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release to you the king of the Jews? And they started crying out, Not this man, give us Barabbas, who was a child molesting rapist. And what do they do? Give us Barabbas, and Barabbas was a robber. There's other truths about Barabbas. And so what do you have here? This statement, you are a king. So you are a king, yes, but my kingdom's not of this world. But I have come and I was born to tell the truth. I was born to tell the truth and to bear witness to the truth. So let me give you some of the words that are here that you can understand. Number one, he says, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I've been born. For this I have come into the world. For what reason? Jesus came to testify to the truth. Those are His words. They're not mine. Those are not theological. They are absolutely practical. That's literal what He said, to testify the truth. Now, what does the word bear witness mean? Bear witness comes from a Greek word where we eventually get the idea of maturity. To bear witness. To bear witness the word, the English word maturity has a root in the same word, that, that Greek word, that means bear witness. And so what does that mean? When he says to bear witness, it means to give evidence of, to testify, and to give a good report. Christopher Hitchens and, and the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the atheist and Bertrand Russell and all those throughout the ages and even the philosophers who have looked at 
uh, Christianity, particularly, or the religion of Christianity and so forth, and they attack the church. And you know, it's always easy to find fault with anything that's on earth, as if that is some kind of great academic uh, endeavor to be critical. It's not. I mean, you, you, I mean, to learn what's wrong with something is not academic. That's child's play. Okay? To discern the difference between what's almost right and right, well, that's getting into this area of matureo, of maturity, of bearing witness. And so what does he do? He comes to give a good report. Well, you know, you've got, what, what's just happened? Well, Simon Peter's just cut off the ear of a temple guard. That's probably been found out at this point. That happened earlier in the night. All the Christians have run, all the followers of Jesus have scattered. Paul, or uh, 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 let's see, Peter, no, John is there. He's testifying to this. He's watching it. He's not supposed to be in there. He's a Jew but he's friends with somebody. That's how this testimony's been given. Peter's out there trying to figure out, man, I forsook Jesus three times with cursing and swearing and all of this stuff. And so there's not really a good testimony, but you see standing right there is the testimony. Standing right there is the testimony. And so Jesus Christ bears witness. Too often we spend our time bearing witness of our church. We bear witness of our theology. We bear witness of our doctrine. We bear witness of this. We bear witness of that. But what about Christ in us, the hope of glory? When do we bear witness of that? When we don't like things that are going on, when is it that we can bear with one another in the spirit of Jesus Christ? Jesus is standing there that can absolutely turn this man inside out and everything in between. But no, he doesn't. He stands there. As the Bible says, despising the shame, not despising the shame, but for the joy that was set before him in just a matter of moments, endured the cross. So that the prophecy of Daniel 7 and many others would be fulfilled that day. Because in that day he died, the devil went to the ancient of days. And he stood there. And Jesus came on the clouds. Where did Jesus come from on the clouds? Well, we know what happened when He died. He descended and He came back up. Where did He go? He went to heaven. How did He get there? He came in the clouds. That's how He came to His Father. How is He going to come and return to us? How's He coming back? What's He going to be riding when He comes back? He's going to be coming in the clouds on a horse. And the, and the witnesses of God are going to be with him. And he is the only one with a sword drawn. He'll have an army with no weapons following him. Because it was established on this day that Pilate is asking, has the temerity, what is truth? It is on this day. It is on this day. That you don't only see it, hear it. You see it. What does it mean to be like Jesus? What is the truth? And so what is this word truth? It's aletheia. It's the reality. And you must please write this down. Truth. True truth. Write this down. Truth. That is true. Always has an opposite so whatever is true, it only has an opposite. It doesn't have another perspective. It doesn't have another position. It doesn't have another thought. God's truth is the truth. Everything else is a lie. That's what the Bible says. So true truth has an opposite. And it is a lie. It is a lie. There is no truth. And when the devil comes telling you and bringing up this or bringing up that, you need to remember something. When the, when the Satan does his thing, you need to remember something. Jesus Christ said He is the Father of lies and there's no truth in Him. He cannot tempt you with the truth. He can only tempt you with the lies. There is no truth. It's impossible for the devil to, to tell the truth as impossible as it is for God to lie. Amen? So... 
Aletheia is this word truth. I have many Bible verses on this. I'm going to skip it. And then he goes on and he says, those that are of my truth, they hear, they listen. So watch this word. He says it there in that verse. talks about hear, they hear my voice. This word hear means to listen. Now, this is, a, this is how it's used in the, in the Scriptures. It means to hear God's voice which prompts them to birth faith within themselves. So it is they hear Jesus and what they hear moves them. What they hear moves them. If you Listen, if you're not moved by the preaching of the Word of God, it is not the Word of God and it is not the preacher, it's you. It's you. Let those who have ears to hear, hear. Right? You realize, never mind, I don't have time. So watch this. What is this truth? Jesus Christ stands there and He says, I'm the truth. Well, we all know, we immediately default to this. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He didn't know that. But I'm going to tell you something. All those religious leaders knew what the truth was. And I just want to take you down memory lane as long as is it, it takes and it shouldn't take long. But let me just show you Jesus in every book of the Bible. Let me just show you Jesus in every book of the Bible. Beginning in the Old Testament in Genesis, He's the seed of the woman. When you look at Exodus, He's the Passover lamb. When you look at Leviticus, He's the high priest. In Numbers, He's the cloud and the fire. In Deuteronomy, He's the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, He's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, He is the judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth, He is the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, He is the prophet of the Lord. In First and Second King, He's the reigning king. In First and Second Chronicles, He is the glorious temple. In Ezra, He is the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, He is the rebuilder of the wall. In Esther, He is Mordecai. In Job, He is the day spring on high. In Psalms, He is the Lord, our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, He's the wisdom of God. In Song of Solomon, He is both the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, He is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the son of man. In Daniel, he is the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. In Hosea, he is the bridegroom. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is the burden bearer. Obadiah, he is the mighty savior. Jonah, the forgiving God. And Micah, he is the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is the great evangelist crying for revival. In Zephaniah, he is the restorer of the remnant. In Haggai, he is the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, he is the pierced son. And in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, he is the son of righteousness. That's the truth. But he's much more than that. Let me show you what he is in the New Testament. I'm going to save Luke for last. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the miracle worker. In John, he's the Son of God. In Acts, he is the ascended Lord. In Romans, he's the justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's the last Adam. In Galatians, he's the one who sets us free. In Ephesians, he is Christ, our riches. In Philippians, he is God who meets our every need. In Colossians, he is the fullness of the Godhead. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is the soon and coming King. Amen. In First and Second Timothy, Tim, Timothy, in First, that that's not in the Bible. It might be in the Terminator's Bible, but it's not. In my Bible. In First and Second Timothy, he is the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's the blessed hope. In Philemon, he is the friend that's closer than a, the, than a brother. In Hebrew, he, Hebrews, he is the blood that washes away our sin. In James, he is the great physician. In First and Second Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In First, Second, and Third John, he is the everlasting love. In, in Jude, he is God our Savior. And in Revelation, rightly so, he is the King of Kings. And He is the Lord of lords. But what does it say He is in Luke? He is the Son of Man. Write this down. What does that mean? I'm not going to spend a long time on this. 
because there's more to do. Jesus Christ referred to Himself 82 times as the Son of Man. It was the favorite title He had. He liked to call Himself the Son of Man. And He is the Son of Man. Because if you read in Mark chapter 13, you will see that Jesus says it is the Son of Man who comes upon the clouds. When was He talking about that? Was He talking about the Son of Man who comes upon the clouds at the return of Jesus to the earth? No. Not just that. The law of first mention of biblical interpretation says, when does it talk about the Son of Man coming on the clouds? And Daniel. Jesus Christ was mentioning that He's going to be coming on the clouds. So there's something else when He says He's the Son of Man. He says He will come on the clouds before the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7. So what does it mean to look at Jesus as the Son of Man? It doesn't mean to look at Jesus in His physical sense. It means to look at Jesus as the Christ. Because the term Son of Man is the term that proves His deity. Why? Because the Son of Man comes from the, from the clouds. And the Son of Man stands before the Ancient of Days. That's not on this earth. That's in a far another place. The Son of Man speaks to the deity of Jesus Christ. So the 82 times Jesus Christ called Himself the Son of Man, He was referring to His deity. He is God and He loves you. And yet we read in Revelations chapter 1 verses 12 through 16, And then I saw as if the Son of Man there in the Revelation. Jesus Christ in the Gospels is the Messiah. He is the miracle worker. In Luke, He's the Son of Man. To John, He's the Son of God. That's the truth. That's the truth. That is the absolute truth. Because that's what the Word of God says. So here you have Pilate saying, Quid est veritas? What is truth? And this is asked of Pilate before his trial. But at, his, at, at, at the trial. And so Jesus Christ, we know this. We know this. Jesus Christ is mentioned in the garden. He's mentioned by the prophets. We see Him in the foreshadowings. We see Jesus in the testimonies about Him. We see Jesus in the New Testament. We see Jesus in the future return. But in just a matter of hours... We're going to see Jesus Christ on the cross. In a matter of a few more hours, we're going to see Jesus Christ in the resurrection. And in a few more days, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see Jesus in the ascension. He's going to show them what the truth is. He came to bear witness of this. And how does Jesus Christ bear witness of the truth? He gives His life for His sheep. Everything we hear today is we have to survive. No, we live because Christ is in us the hope of glory. The end of glory's road is not what happens in a presidential election. It is not what happens with a vaccine. It is not what happens with man's truth. What is at the end of our road is Jesus Christ. But we don't have to wait to the end of the road to get there because we can be dashed against His rocks even now and be blessed because He is our King. But could you be convicted in your lifestyle that you believe it? And this is the great question of the ages then. What is this truth? So I want to share with you four brief statements on this. I want you to write these down. I want you to write these down. Number one, Christianity is truth. Christianity is truth. Write it down, please. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. When you take a soldier, I watched the movie the other day, Glory. Have any of you ever seen the movie Glory with Denzel Washington, Matthew Broderick, and Morgan Freeman? It's about the 54th Massachusetts Regiment, the first black regiment to fight 
in the, in the Civil War, or known as the War of Northern Aggression, to fight in that war for the Union against the Secession. If you've never seen it, you need to watch it. It's everything that is good about valor, honor, integrity, and right. And all these black men wanted to do is they wanted shoes and a gun to go get their freedom. It got Denzel Washington an Academy Award. But the movie is tremendous, and it's based on a true story. And those men did not run away in the face of fear. And the true test of a soldier is not where he pledges his allegiance. A true test is not what stripes he has on his arm or what knowledge he has in his head. The true test of a soldier is will he stand in the battle? Where are the people of God today? Lifting high the banner of Christ. There, it, listen, I spoke to 139 connected devices yesterday morning in India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, and some other country that I can't remember, and USA. And I don't know how many people were connected to those devices, but it was one. And I told them, you must remember, you must remember in the midst of all of this stuff and the lockdowns and COVIDs and dying and all of this stuff, it is so real what's happening over there. And they're in the midst of it. You've got to remember, you, you, we have the answer as the church of the living God. Because we have the true vaccine. Do you know something about it? There is one vaccine that will kill you. I taught this the other night, last Sunday night. You would do yourself a favor to come on Sunday nights. But tonight, come at four, and we're going we're gonna to rearrange stuff. We need help, and we're not going to have church after that. We'll go crash Brahms or something. Okay? Or somewhere. But there is one vaccine that's killed every person that's ever taken it. That's truly taken it. It's one vaccine that if you take it, it'll cost you your life. And it's called the vaccine Jesus. It will cost you everything. Because here's what it does. It doesn't just change your DNA. It changes your whole nature. And if you've truly been vaccinated by Christ, then you're a walking dead man with a new life of Christ in you. That's a vaccine that will kill you. And as Truett pointed out, my budding theologian, he said it is the only vaccine you can take that will keep you from dying twice. Because you take that one, you only die once. Do you follow? You know what that means. I'm not going to explain it. So Christianity is truth. So wherever the battle rages, there is the loyalty of the soldier, it is proved. We're in a battle today, but we're not in a battle against against what you think we're about. We're against spiritual wickedness and principalities in high places and we have to stand. And the Bible says once you have stand, done all to stand, keep standing. But where are you hiding? You cannot hide alone. You've got to come out and shine the light of Christ. People want truth. And it's not what Fox says or CNN or any of your sidewinder places you get your stuff from. They want the truth and we know what the truth is. It's Jesus Christ. And the biggest complaint the atheists have against us and people like Mahatma Gandhi and other folks like that said you preach this stuff but you don't live by it. It's because we think the truth is relative so watch this. There is a scandal of the cross for every generation. Today brothers and sisters there's a scandal of the cross for each generation and each people. For all of you there is the scandal of the cross and it changes it changes uh, uh, it changes strategies and all kinds of things and the various physical enemies you see are different but it's always the same enemy. For the Greek it was the resurrection of the body. They said we can't believe in, in, uh, in Jesus Christ because he was resurrected from the body to, in, uh, to life. That's what the scientists say today. The Jews it was a loss of their status and privilege of people defined by their keeping the Mosaic law. People in this country think because they're evangelical Christians they are entitled to a special status. You don't believe that. Because if you believe that, then, then the homosexual, LGBTQRSTUV123, then they deserve to believe the same thing you do. In this country, we're the same under the law. That's what the Bible, that's what the law says here, right? But the Bible says it does not say all men are created equal. That's the Declaration of Independence. 
But the Bible says, what the Bible does say is that we are all made in the image of God, but we're not all the same. Right? So keep on going. Listen to this. And then today for the modernists, which are the atheists and the skeptics and everybody else, it is a supernatural, especially of the miraculous, that they reject. And so for all men at all times, it is our absolute dependence upon God's grace, His unmerited favor and salvation. And folks can't get their heads around that. And the reason is, is because they don't experience people that live that way. And so let me show you this. The present chasm, you older folks, listen, I'm getting up in your generation area, you know, I'm not far from AARP or AMAC or, yeah, it'll be AMAC for me, obviously. But uh, um, the present, but you know, you, you look at these younger folks and you say, they just don't do things like we used to do it, right? And they look at you and say, you got your old dead traditions, blah, 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 and nobody gets along. And they look at that. Well, there is a chasm between the generations that has been brought almost on entirely by this single thing. What is the concept of truth? The reason the generations struggle is because no one knows what the truth is. The change in the concept of the way we come to knowledge about truth is a crucial problem and it is what is facing Christianity today. People think that the way to come to truth is to know the knowledge about everything that's wrong. I would remind you that they learn how to determine what a counterfeit bill looks like by not handling all the counterfeits but by looking at the real thing. That's it. You look at the real thing, you can tell a fake. It doesn't matter who made it. All right? And so Francis Schaeffer, the great Christian philosopher of last century at Le made this comment. He said, true truth. Listen, I want you to hear this. True truth. It's to make sure that we are conveying the idea of truth that was absolute and not relativistic that acknowledges the presumption that if anything was true, then the opposite is false. Do you believe that today? You need to because we're the ones that have it. That if anything was true, then the opposite has to be false. Write that down. So listen, when you look at Jesus Christ and they say, what is truth? Well, anything other than Him then is what? False. The Christian needed to be committed to the antithesis rather than relativism. And this is the problem today. And this is today why there are so many denominations and, and groups out there and people that are worshiping church at home and people that worship at church say their folks that worship at home are just as good as they are and all this kind of stuff because they've made it into moral relativism. And so nobody stands for truth anymore. When you believe in God's truth, then you know that anything other than His truth is false. And so you live from the concept of not relativism, but from antithesis. If it's true, it's of God. If it is not, it is not of God, because all truth is God's truth. And so in our world we live in today, you have all of these people that are influenced by all of these ways, Eurocentrism, logic-centric, all of these things. So there's the temptation that we have to play by those rules, that for me to be able to talk to somebody about the truth, I have to, I have to play the game that they're relativists, and I have to become a relativist instead of a person who believes in the antithesis of truth. You folks know me. I could no more play that part then I can stand up here and dance a ballet in a tutu. And you also know you would no more like to see either one of those things happen either because you would say something died in James Egan. I absolutely believe in the truth of God's Word and I don't believe your interpretation of the truth is the truth if it's different than mine or mine of yours. I want the truth of the Bible, not the interpretation of it. And there in God means what He says and He says what He means. So for Jesus who was Lord only of our... Per Listen, I want you to write this down. This is so important. I can actually stop at this point and leave out the rest. But I want you to write this down because some of you are relativists in your truth-telling. You just are. And you can be liberal and conservative 
but it is. You just are. It's the culture you grew up in. We grew up in. But, if, but write this down. I'm going to say it and then write it down. I'm going to say it. I want you to hear it and then you can write it down. If Jesus is the Lord only of your perspective, then Jesus is not the Lord of the con- cosmos for you and therefore your Jesus is incapable of saving anyone. Now let me repeat it. If Jesus is only the Lord of your perspectives, if Jesus is only the Lord of your perspectives, then He is not the Lord of the cosmos and is therefore incapable of saving anyone. That's why I don't believe in a Christian worldview. I believe in a biblical one that is centered upon Christ as King. It is good to be humble about our presentation of knowledge and to admit that while we know, ab- we know absolute truth, we do not know absolute truth absolutely. Amen? None of us in here know absolute truth absolutely. And so here's the thing. But in our current climate, if one small step from the admission of becoming... Uh, 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 dealing with other people's intimidates about us about asserting the truth of the claims of Jesus Christ, then listen, if we shrink from making the absolute claims of Jesus Christ and present them as absolute truth, then all we have done is we have rejected His absolute authority in our lives. And that's why the world believes The Christians are part of the problem because of their religion. And that is religion. Because you can't deny the absolute authority of Jesus Christ and be in relationship with Him. And so here's the idea. You have to come to this place. The bottom line is this. Christ is Lord of all and you can never shrink from that. It doesn't matter who you talk to. It doesn't matter if they like you or not. You can't control what people think of you. You, We all have a preferred indifference that people like us. But you cannot make a person like you. Whether any of us perceive it or accept it, Jesus Christ is not our culturally bound opinion. He is the King and the truth. And I'm going to tell you, if you're going to stand for the truth, you're going to be assaulted. And that's to go back to the beginning part. If you're a soldier of the cross, it will not be known by what you say. It will be known by how you stand. And you will never know how you stand until you get in the fray. And you have to decide right now whose flag are you going to stand under? America will not be here when glory comes. But there is one who will. And he is called the banner, the flag. If you want to change this country It's not your acquisition of the facts. It is your living out of the truth. And it is Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to know something. His claims on our beliefs are absolute and you have to decide you believe that. You have to decide you believe that. His claims on you are absolute. And if we finch at this point, excuse me, flinch at this point, if our trumpet gives an uncertain sound, if we present Christ who is inoffensive because He is after all only one perspective among many, if we allow the enemies of truth to dictate the terms of our engagement, 
In other words, we compromise on the issue of truth that we may betray the next generation to unrelieved darkness. If we do this, then may God have mercy on our souls and even more on ours. Yesterday I saw how many of you when you were raising your little ones and maybe even today have little ones and you watch the show Blue's Clues. Do you remember that? Blue's Clues this last week or last month had a song and they celebrated gay pride with a cartoon. And the couples go marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. The couples go marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. He has two mommies and they love each other. That's all really good, blah, 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 hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. And they go all the way to nine, to non-binary, to this, that so-and-so is a queen and king, hurrah, hurrah. And here's blue. It was disgusting to me. Oh, that's entirely, if you say that, those people are never going to believe it doesn't matter. It's the truth. And the truth is what sets people free, not moral relativism. If you want a free country, then freedom comes from the truth that is in Christ, which built this country. And I want to tell you why I am so filled with hope. Because we are living in hard times. And God is raising up in this country great men right now. They are not political leaders. They are men of old, schooled of old, that stand behind one of these desks and they preach the unfairted God's Word and they do it bearing the suffering in their bodies and great men create good times and good times are coming because God is not done because He is not redeeming His elect. And that to me is the whosoever will. And so we are going through this time when the folks went through the World War I, they decided we're never going to make it, and they did. Then the Dep- and it was the war that would end all wars. And then the Great Depression happened, and everybody said we're not going to make it, and they did. And then all of a sudden, World War II happened, and one of the great statesmen of old of wartime said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And what happened? We kicked their tails. We showed them. And then it's gone on and on. And we've had ozone layers. We've had, we've had spotted owls. We've had whales. We've had save the oceans. We've had COVID. We've had every, SARS, bird flu, tick flu, emu, toe. We've had everything under the sun. AIDS, we're all going to die of AIDS. We've had this. How many of you are old enough to remember that power lines will give you cancer? And they just built a big one out there to Lake Kiowa. Well, y'all better watch out. But there's one thing that still remains. Fear sells. But faith leaps. Let's leap. We have the truth. Christianity is the truth. Amen? Be encouraged with that. You can't leave here and not be encouraged. You possess in your iPhone or your other phone or your Bible the Word of God, which is truth. And in the midst of a great political scandal, the King of Kings allowed His creation to to crucify Him. Jesus showed us the way to freedom. And what we're trying to do today is not what the church is trying to do today and all that stuff. That's not the way of freedom. The way of freedom is to preach the truth, encourage the saints to get out there and live. Go spend your money out there. Go out there and let those people see your humility because I'm going to tell you something. As a former fundamentalist, the reasons the fundamentalists got it all wrong is because they believed so hard in the truth but they didn't believe in giving it in love. And that's how I want to close this message is with this. Because truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. And the Bible says, We beheld Him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Go out here today. Go out here today where you have not been in the confidence of the Lord that He cares for you. 
and show them Jesus Christ full of grace and truth. Amen? Let's stand. I want you to think about what you've heard. There's much more to this message, but that's all we're going to have. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not as men who love darkness. We have seen a great light. And through Christ Jesus, those of us that have been vaccinated with Him, I guess, to say, the Bible says in 1 John, He is in the light and we are in the light with Him and we walk with Him in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There was a day that the Christian church in America was made up of courageous people. Lord, I ask that you bring that courage back to go live under the claims of Jesus. I have come to give you life and life abundantly. He is the sovereign authority of the universe. No one in leadership over us is not your minister today that you have foreordained and providentially put in place. Even though they may deny it, they work for you. And Father, I pray that you would just bless us with the opportunity to demonstrate we are good and faithful soldiers, that Christ has changed us, that we follow a voice of love and of truth, we follow a, a voice of uncompromising positions. That we are not relativists. And that, Lord, we are seeking the truth. As the Bible says, those who seek it will find it. And those who find it will have freedom. And so, Lord, I just ask you in Jesus' name to make these things happen. In us, that's, this is just so much on the heart. I think on your heart. Because you're not done with this American experiment. But Lord, it looks like so many Americans are done with the church. And the reason is they have made it relative to the culture instead of absolute to God. The church is not the bride of the world. It is the bride of Christ. And she is a lovely bride and a good one. And Father, there are so many out there that are wandering, looking for truth. I pray, Father, you would use us to lead them to it. And so, Father, I pray for our church that you bless them and you keep them. You make their, your face to shine upon them, be gracious to them, that you would turn your face towards them and give them peace. And as the God of peace who has brought us again from the dead, who has brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. May he equip us with everything good that we need to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom will be and is glory forever and ever. Amen.